today on Ag News Daily. The, the business kind of started by accident. Um, I called my now co-founder, Matthew Clark. He'd been one of the resellers I worked with when I was with Feed Management Systems. Um, Feed Management Systems got acquired by Cargill. I worked with him for a few years. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Ashton Carr on the podcast today with co-hosts Delaney Howe and Mike Pearson. Guys, how's it going today? It's going pretty well, Ashton. How are things going for you? Oh, pretty good. Just had my lawn guys come out and mow my lawn and just kind of been going easy today. Absolutely. Well, Mike, what are you up to today? Not a whole lot. Just kind of keeping an eye on the markets. Definitely saw soybeans down substantially today. Delaney, any chance it's related to crop conditions? Do you have those numbers handy? I certainly do, Mike. And yes, as you mentioned, uh, crop conditions were better, I think, than the trade expected. We saw U.S. soybeans were rated 72% good to excellent, and the trade was only expecting about 69%. So you, you look year over year, soybeans at 72% this year. Last year at this time, we were at just 54% rated good to excellent. So I think a lot of Traders were anticipating maybe some lower numbers, which was not positive for the trade today. We also saw corn rated 72% good to excellent. And last year, we were at just 58%. So definitely a better looking corn and soybean crop overall than where we were at for this time last year. Yeah, and even though the supply issue is still kind of in question, given the uh, the acreage drop from planting intentions to the uh, June 30th planted acreage report, I mean, the fact that this crop is apparently improving across much of the country, yeah, definitely making the trade start to wonder about what's going to happen with demand, or I guess continuing about what's going to happen with demand, and we don't look like we're getting a lot of demand favors out of this next uh, coronavirus uh, bill coming out of Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, ethanol. It was announced earlier that uh, there will be no specific funding for ethanol relief, either in the form of some kind of credit, basically nothing written into the law for biofuels. The biofuels industry will have to instead petition directly to the USDA for a share of the chunk of money the USDA is going to be receiving. And effectively, it sounds like it's up to Sonny Purdue as to whether or not there will be any kind of uh, bailout package or assistance package, rather, for biofuels. Yeah, so to elaborate on that just a little bit more, the plan that Senate Republicans rolled out on Monday is about $20 billion to compensate agricultural producers. And the way I understand it is the USDA, aka Sunny Purdue, basically have the authority to do with this money what they will. About $14 billion of that will likely go into replenishing the Commodity Credit Corp. And so the other $6 billion is kind of up to the decision of Secretary Purdue as to what he earmarks that money for. Yes. Uh, uh, Excuse me. Senator Grassley from Iowa said earlier that, quote, we're in a position of depending on the secretary of agriculture. If this 20 billion dollars goes to him getting some of it for ethanol. Uh, He was on a call with reporters earlier today, and that was his comments. Again, that's uh, Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa. So, yeah, I mean, ethanol has certainly been hit. Oil has gotten you know, numerous tranches of relief from this administration. Ethanol hasn't gotten anything. So I'm sure there will be a full court push 
to try and get some kind of assistance to keep these plants online. And I think now they've got a legitimate cause in that even if miles driven continues to decline, we've pulled stocks down so much that perhaps an assistance package that would incorporate or encourage uh, blenders or refiners to keep grinding corn, we would have capacity for it in storage, even though that might create a bit of a headache later on when storage gets to be pretty high. Yeah, I will say, though, I was out driving around this weekend across um, Interstate I-80, across all pretty much the eastern part of Iowa, and I was surprised at the amount of traffic that there was on the interstate. It really seemed like things were kind of back up to normal. Yeah, and we'll get some more insight onto whether or not traffic is coming back to normal tomorrow when the EIA releases their ethanol for the week. And yeah, I think a lot of folks are hoping that you know the weather has cooled off a little bit in a lot of parts of the country. The heat wave has kind of subsided. Maybe that's encouraging folks to get out of the house, go for a drive, and hopefully we'll see that grind tick back up and not be a continuation of last week's decline. Absolutely. But Ashton, what news are you watching on the day? Well, I have some non-COVID-19 related news for for a change of pace. The Center for Food Safety has filed a federal lawsuit on behalf of nonprofits and retailers against the USDA on its labeling rules for GMO foods. And of course, GMO just stands for genetically modified organisms. And the groups argue that the use of bioengineered on labels in place of GE, which is genetically engineered, or GMO is misleading to consumers. They say the QR code, which is allowed on labels that can only be read through a smartphone, discriminates against at least 20% of adults who are primarily poor, elderly, rural, and minority populations who might not have a a smartphone to be able to actually scan that QR code and look at the ingredients more specifically. And their lawsuit says the rules exclude 70% of GMO foods used as ingredients in other foods. The suit is asking the court to declare the regulations unlawful and nullify them, sending them back to USDA to fix. Food manufacturers are required to use the new bioengineered labels at the start of 2022. So we shall see if uh, this federal lawsuit, anything comes of it, and if uh, the USDA actually has to uh, do some fixing to these uh, bioengineered labels. Interesting. Definitely have to keep a watch on it because uh, so much corn and soybean is uh, G. Wait, what's the the label they want to use? I think they're going more towards doing a GE, which is just genetically engineered or GMO, because they uh, are saying that bioengineered might be a little bit misleading. But, you know, non-GMO labeling, I think, can be a little bit misleading, too, because they put it on on foods sometimes that aren't even GMO to begin with. And so it's it's a whole whole conversation about labeling that 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 I could have personally. But uh, yeah. Yeah, my favorite was seeing a non-GMO salt. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's just marketing to people's ignorance is uh, apparently a profitable way to go for a lot of companies. Yeah, my my favorite is uh no antibiotics ever on on meat products, which I I think is a little bit a little bit funny because I mean, we do have FDA regulations for a you know, periods of time where you can't have any antibiotics or anything in an animal. So anyways, I could go on and on forever about labeling. But uh, Mike, what other headlines are you following today? 
Well, I tell you what, since we're talking meat, these uh, might have been treated with antibiotics, or they might not have been. I'm not sure, but we got reports from the USDA, the National Agricultural Statistics Service. On July 1st, they do their annual count of cattle in the country, and uh, cow numbers are down. Well, I should say beef cattle numbers are down. Milk cattle numbers are actually higher. There were 32.1 million beef cows in the U.S. That's down a percent from last year. Milk cows were up. We've got 9.4 million milk cows. And the U.S. calf crop, which makes a lot of sense given that uh, beef cow numbers were down, calf crop down uh, down 1% at 35.8 million heads. So we do have, uh, I guess, a decent amount of stability in the amount of cattle running around in the countryside. Sounds like we certainly do. Well, I tell you what, guys, I have just one other piece of news to update our listeners on today. As we know, Farm Progress Show has been one of the last to be canceled. And they are now looking at doing some virtual experience as part of their uh, promise or or commitment to try and still present producers with some of this stuff that they might get if they were actually visiting the Farm Progress show in person. And so they are doing a, their first ever Farm Progress experience, which will be largely those field demonstrations. They're trying to do them virtual this year. So they're going to be conducting and recording some of those demonstrations and offering them to farmers to view for free this year. Yeah, and it's going to be really cool. So in my work on uh, This Week in Agribusiness with Max Armstrong and the team at 22 Creative Group, we will be doing a lot of shooting on the Farm Progress Show grounds. 22 Creative will be producing most or all, I'm not sure yet, of the video segments that will be used for the virtual Farm Progress Show. It's incredible how quickly uh, the Farm Progress team has made the switch from virtual to, from live to virtual rather, and things are shaping up. So don't Write it out of your schedule just let just yet. Uh, the virtual show will combine both the Farm Progress Show in Boone and Husker Harvest Days. So there will still be cattle handling demonstrations, as well as the harvest demonstrations, other field demonstrations. It's gonna be all kinds of cool stuff. So stay tuned. We'll have more as uh, this month kind of works on and we get towards August. We certainly will. Well, I tell you what, that uh, that really does it for the news that I've got on hand. Should we jump into the markets and see where prices wrapped up for the day? Let's do it. All right. Taking a look at the markets, we've got red on the screen all through the grains. In the corn market, September down a nickel at $3.20. December down $4.75 to close at $3.29 and three quarters. In soybeans, the August was down nine and a half cents at $8.97 even. November new crop down 11 and three quarters, closed at $8.88 even. In the wheat pit, September Chicago down three and three quarters at $5.24 even. December down four and a quarter, closed the day at $5.30 and a half. Looking over at livestock, we do have green in the cattle complex. The August live cattle contract up 47 and a half cents at 190 cents. October up $1.17 and a half to close at 105 even. Feeder cattle also moved to the upside. The August up $1.35 at 14070. September $1.67 half higher, finishing at 141.30. Lean hogs, little weakness in the front months. The August was down 35 cents at 54.20. October down two and a half to close at 50.72 and a half. Quick look at the dairy market in class three milk. July up a penny at 24.42. The August down 20 cents, closed the day at 21.91. Without further ado, Ashton, who are we talking to for today's interview? Today, we are talking to Peter Schott of Genesis Feed Technologies. 
Today on the podcast, we have Peter Schott, who is the CEO and co-founder of Genesis Fee Technologies. Peter, thanks for coming on the podcast to talk to us today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. So I want to start off first by talking a little bit about your history in agriculture, because it's a fairly long one from what I have read. (laughs) Yeah, I I grew up on a family farm in North Dakota, about two hours uh, from where I'm sitting right now here in Fargo. Um, And anything from picking rocks to, you know, whatever growing up, uh, left the family farm, went to school and... um, Long story short, ended up um, back back on the farm after coming back from uh, the Dominican Republic. Um, and along the same time, I'd gotten a job for a company in the animal feed industry that had feed manufacturing formulation software. And um, I wasn't busy enough with that and raising my family, so I decided to take over the seed dealership on our family farm. So I uh, did that for a few years. Um, and, you know, working in animal feed and working in crop production, I've learned there's never time in agriculture and everyone's going to be fully happy because price of corn goes up, the farmers are happy, and the animal guys are upset because the feeding costs <laughs> just went up. Um, a few years ago, I decided to start my own uh, software company in the animal feed space to, to change the way uh, uh, people use information and share it uh, between groups. And along the way with that, uh, still did some work on the farm, drove uh, grain carts called corn or the ethanol plant and and those types of things. So, um, yeah, I've been involved in agriculture from very low level of picking rocks to a high level of um, right now we're collaborating with the Soybean Export Council with the launch of our platforms looking at global trade issues for uh, soybean meal and, and quality of ingredients. So, Peter, Genesis Feed Technologies is the company you're referring to here that's done all these cool and interesting things, but... I want to talk a little bit more. You mentioned kind of your background with the seed industry, the feed industry, but what really spurred you? And and tell us a little bit more about what your company does. Yeah, so Genesis Feed Technologies is a software platform that helps people make uh, buying decisions about feed ingredients by looking at uh, nutrition qualities that are often overlooked on the trading side of it. And so we, we built this platform to really highlight those types of things. It's a good marketing tool for groups that are selling uh, ingredients and want to sell it with an emphasis on quality. And it's also a good t- tool for the buyers that want to evaluate the different suppliers and make sure they're making making profitable choices. So that's what our software platform does. The, the business kind of started by accident. Um, I called my now co-founder, Matthew Clark. He'd been one of the resellers I worked with when I was with Feed Management Systems. Um, feed Management Systems got acquired by Cargill. I worked with them for a few years. Then I left the largest privately held company in the world to go work for a company called Myriad Mobile in Fargo that's doing a software platform called Bushel now. And in my time there, I got into uh, selling mobile technology and agriculture. And I just reached out to Matthew, uh, who was actually in Indonesia at that time, um, running a poultry um, processing group there and just said, hey, what what opportunities do you see for mobile tech in your part of the world with nutrition and animal feed? Uh, he had just built the platform uh, to do some operations thing on reducing cost of goods and that type of thing. And he was telling me about it. And I said, well, you should put that platform on a better mobile platform and redistribute it because there's other people that have the same 
types of problems. And so Matthew said, that's a good idea. We should do that. And so the we in that sentence is where we decided to start a business. And so our initial vision was to create the software platform that could connect these disparate software systems in the feed industry. When you go to feed mill, they have software to make the feed, software to build the recipes, a software to sell and manage the financial pieces of it. And then each organization that they work with may use different tools for the same thing. So we thought if we can build this platform to connect those things and share information, uh, people are going to be excited about it. So with our initial ideas, there were a few people excited about it, but not enough to really justify keeping doing a business. Uh, but in the meantime, Matthew had been doing these speaking engagements with uh, the Soybean Export Council or, or USEC over in Southeast Asia on the nutritional value of U.S. soy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so um, he's doing all these presentations in his formulation system, coming up with the numbers for him. And that was a real pain for him to do that. And so like, like any good idea, he thought there's got to be a better way. And so he started building it. And from those humble beginnings of building spreadsheets and little applications for his presentations, um, it got the interest of USEC as a potential marketing tool for US soy globally. And so we responded to an RFP that they wrote to to do that um, about a year and a half ago. One that and started deploying it in the Americas and Southeast Asia. And along the way, did a speaking tour with them to members of NOPA, the National Oilseed Process Association. So we're going to Cargill, ADM, Bungie, and, and groups like that and talking about how to market soybean meal from a nutritional value perspective. All of that went well, and USEC said, we like what's happening here, we want to do more. Uh, let's deploy your platform globally. Uh, we're going to do paid pilot projects with the NOPA members because they see opportunity to, to use the platform. And so that kind of led us into this past year where uh, we've been actively deploying our platform around the world um, to reveal the economic advantage of soybean meal from one origin to another. And in most cases, that points to U.S. soybean meals having an advantage. Um, so working very closely with them and also with uh, the NOPA members too on, on marketing efforts for them. So on a given day, um, and this has literally happened to me where I'll start off the morning talking to someone in China. I'll go from there to Ecuador, uh, from there to Morocco, and maybe end the day in Nepal. So we're <laughs> kind of all over the place right now with, with them, but having a lot of fun doing it. Peter, it certainly sounds like you're having a lot of fun. It's a, a lot to take in, very exciting stuff that you're you're able to do with this software. And in the software, what kind of tools are you providing to your clients or your customers? I read a little bit about the nutrient value calculator that you used in the uh, soybean meal quality study that you guys participated in. So what kind of tools exactly can people expect to see within your software at Genesis? So we look at our platform, it, it does some things with feed formulation, but we don't look at it as a replacement to feed formulation. It's more of an add-on to an existing system <clears throat> that people have, and we're trying to find new and cool things to do in that space. And the nutrient value calculator is is kind of the main focus of that for now. So what we'll do is people can set up uh, purchasing scenarios um, with any area that they're looking to market in, or if you're a feed manufacturer, you can set up you know, your different things that you're manufacturing for with species and quantities. Um, because, you know, getting back to that um, quality study, 
that was done with that meta-analysis, um, when you look at the value of an ingredient, it changes from place to place because there's so many other things that impact it. What are the costs of the other ingredients? What are the availability of them? It can be quite a spread. And so when we ran the economic analysis for the that meta-analysis study, we found you know, an advantage of, of U.S. meal over Brazil anywhere from, you know, 3 to $10 a ton. And uh, the U.S. over Argentine anywhere from about 12 to $24 a ton. So it shows, number one, that um, nutrition and energy matter, and people should look at that when they're, when they're buying. And number two, that, that that value can change from place to place. And there's not really an easy way to do that in, in, in traditional systems. And so... Uh, our platform gives them a glimpse of how to how to do that easily and connect that purchasing person with 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 the nutritionist. So that's the that's the main thing that the platform does. We have a vision for other pieces that we want to do, but this is keeping us uh, quite busy for the time being. And we'd rather focus on one area and do it really well before we try to spread ourselves too thin. You know, this is all very fascinating stuff, and I think it's interesting to look at what you guys are doing, what the blockchain system is doing, just what we are seeing calm to the forefront now, especially on the retail side of things. But as you look at feed ingredients, feed additives, that type of thing in general, what do you see as the future for this industry? Do you see a lot of consolidation and people using platforms like yours or what direction do you see that heading? Well, I think as platforms like ours help redefine that, that conversation, just as an example, we were talking with one of the largest feed producers in the world the other day, and they had an idea of the spreads between U.S., Argentina, and Brazil, and our software was showing them that they're very different than that and forcing them to rethink how they make their purchases. Um, we also have, you know, these major commodity groups um, that are using our platform now as a marketing strategy. Um, you know, when you get groups like ADM and Bungie um, using a tool for marketing and getting people talking about energy and amino acids, it's going to start to change that downstream demand. It says, you know, what are the soybean pressures looking for when they, um, when they're, when they're sourcing the soybeans, how do they produce them? And so that leads back into what genetics of seeds are produced. Um, we're starting a, a research study to really look at that economic benefit of these amino acids and energy to where um, we're hoping that it's the beginning of creating new trading standards. For the ingredients, so just just by looking differently at the value from that consumer's perspective, in this case, the ingredient buyer, it has the potential to transform the whole industry with how they work around this. Rather than trying to make high proteins, we're looking at amino acid, high energy, and, and what does that mean? Then you know, along the way with all of that, there's the um, you know transparency of information. When we start putting these types of things on our platform, we reveal certain advantages. You know, like U.S. over Brazil or Argentina. But then also, you know, maybe specific advantages for, um, you know, if you have a different species that has certain needs, we'll be able to show what that is and what the worth. So it can be very exciting for those buyers. And, and eventually we hope that we'll connect the animal farmer on the end supply chain to the beginning of it with the crop producer like my dad and brother who are corn and soybean farmers in, in South Central North Dakota, where it could have an opportunity to either allow them to contract directly with um, with people on their on their soybeans, or just even in, in improve their their basis numbers. I was talking with someone else in the industry um, a couple of months ago, and they said, if you could wave a magic wand, and what what would happen? What would this look like? 
I said, picture my dad or my brother sitting in the combine. And the technology to do this exists already where you can put um, NIR scanning equipment in to, to look at the crop quality. They could be in a hot zone for soybeans where let's say they've got high amino acids or high energy. What if something would pop up on his yield monitor, say such and such group is contracting to buy, you know, the last hundred acres of beans that you produce because they're more valuable. They could click a button, sell it and have it delivered directly to them or, you know, through their elevator on a contract basis to, to do that type of thing. And then you start thinking about, um, you know, there's different groups doing things with, blockchain like AgriDigital out of um, Australia and they've got a nonprofit called Giora where they're making an open source blockchain platform to address these types of supply chain issues. Um, at the end of the day, we think everybody in the along the chain has an opportunity to win with that type of work. So I, I get really excited about how tools like ours and shifting these conversations have real opportunities to transform an in, in industry. Absolutely, Peter. I also love having these kinds of conversations talking about advancements in technology. And if our listeners want to keep up with what Genesis is doing, how can they find you online? What's your website? And uh, where can they follow you at on social media? So um, on our website, uh, there's a little pop-up for our email list. I send out an email about once a month, just kind of sharing general updates. What we're doing and we're starting to post more actively on uh, Instagram and Twitter as well. And I think those links are on our site, but if, if you go to genesisfeedtech.com or look for Genesis Feed Tech on, on Twitter and Instagram, I don't know if you do show notes, you could, I could probably send it the links and you could put those in there as well for it. But, but those are the platforms that we're most active on right now. Well, again, folks, that is Peter Schott, CEO and co-founder of Genesis Feed Technologies. Be sure to check them out. Thanks again for coming on the podcast, Peter. Thank you very much for having me. Again, a big thank you to Peter for coming to talk to us today about Genesis Feed Technologies. It's definitely very interesting to hear about what they're doing, and I will continue to follow them as they make a name for themselves in the global market. And uh, you can always keep up with us on social media at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can keep up with our podcast at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Mike, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.